Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today's message is part of a series entitled Recharge. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. Good morning. Once again, welcome to Community Christian Church. So great to have you here. And I agree with what Sean just said. You are amazing. I believe that with all my heart. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are amazing. Some of you didn't say it. Come on. Tell somebody you're amazing. It's the truth. All right. We're five days into our 12 days of prayer and fasting. And that means two things. Number one, it means we only have seven days to go. Just seven days left. And number two, it means you have the hardest part of the fast out of the way. And when I say that, when I say you have the hardest part out of the way, it's not because I'm trying to be humorous or use reverse psychology. I mean it. It's the truth. You see, oftentimes the hardest part of any decision project or endeavor is getting started the starting point having the courage and the grit to take that first step you know many times we have commendable intentions and to go along with our desire to pull the trigger and get started we talk a good game and then we talk a little bit more about it and then we talk some more But the old saying is sooner or later, you have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to do something. Sometimes you can't just sit there. Take, for instance, repainting the interior walls of your house. When it comes to repainting, I usually look for there to be a problem with the old paint. You know, I'll check the condition of the old paint. And if it's not in bad shape, you know, if there's not a bunch of deep gouges or or cracks or chips in the wall, I say, that's great, leave it alone. But Tree, she has a much different method. You know, if the paint's been on the wall for three or four years, even though it's in great shape and in good condition, she'll want to talk about a new color. And I'll say, are you kidding? We just painted that wall. And she'll say, no, we didn't. And I'll say, yes, we did. And she'll say, no, we didn't. And then when I check... The date on the touch-up paint can, I find out once again, Teresa's right, and it was a little longer than I thought, like closer to six or seven years. And so then we start the process of looking at new colors and making our selections at the paint store, and, you know, that's going to take a while. That buys me a little bit of time. (laughs) Then finally, you have to go to the store, buy the paint. And when we buy the paint and take it home, that's when I get really strategic. Because what I do is I put the paint and the brushes and the rollers in different uh, obvious places in the house and move it around from time to time so it appears as though I'm getting ready to paint. (laughs) It looks like I'm going to do something. And the whole reason I drag my heels on this is because I've learned what fresh paint means. Fresh paint usually means... More conversation about new window treatments, new floor coverings, new furniture, new wall art, 
I mean the whole shot. And so for most guys, a can of paint can potentially become a can of worms. <laughs> See, it's the getting started that is the hardest part. Pulling the trigger. Making that decision to take the first step. And last Sunday, during our very first service, as we began this new series, Recharge, I laid out a pretty sizable challenge. And I knew that going in. I knew it was going to be a challenging message, and I really appreciate your willingness to respond to it. I used the illustration or the example of a cell phone battery to try and get your attention because it's something I think we can all relate to. According to the statistics, most of us, if not all of us, own a cell phone. And we've all learned that that wonderful little gadget, that amazing computer that you carry around with you called a cell phone, doesn't work with a dead battery. It doesn't work with a drained battery. And I said, if we don't want to live our lives with a drained, depleted, or even a dark soul, then we're going to have to plug into a power source. And the source that I was referring to is God. We have to take intentional and necessary steps to connect with God. And again, I'm so inspired by your willingness to do that. To begin this new year off on the right foot, to take that initiative, to start it off that way, and to recharge your whole being, spirit, soul, and body. To go from empty to full in every dimension of life. And it doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. And so again, the second part is going to be somewhat challenging. It's going to test us. It's going to stretch us. Because this is what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us today. To move from where we're at and go to a different place. Okay. Uh, at this time, I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. Mark, the fourth chapter. We're going to read a passage there beginning with verse 35. And you can look up here on the big screen as well. We're going to display all of these verses. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. That day... When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. What did Jesus say? Oh, I, I, yeah, I got it. Okay, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or a storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still lack faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? All right, that's good right there. In this passage here in Mark chapter 4, we're told that one day 
at the end of the day, after Jesus spent the day teaching and preaching and ministering to the needs of the people in a great crowd, he was completely drained and exhausted. And so Jesus looked to his disciples and he said to them, let us go over to the other side. In other words, Jesus said, it's time to take a little trip. It's time to go on this journey to a place called the other side. And here in Mark 4, that meant leaving the city or the town of Capernaum, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and landing on the shores of Gadara. That's the trip that they were going to take. That's what Jesus had in mind when he said, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to leave one town and go to another town, a different physical place. And so Jesus was talking about a change in geographic location. However, for the purpose of this message this morning, the term or the phrase other side is indicative of a spiritual move. And now I'm talking about a fresh determination to respond to the instruction or the word of the Lord to leave your place of comfort and complacency and relocate to another place called faith and full surrender to God. When we are talking about from here on in until the end of this message, going to the other side, it's not a geographic move. It's not a physical move. It's a spiritual move, a spiritual relocation. Moving from your place of comfort to a place of full surrender to God. And keep in mind, that's our objective here with this series, with the Recharge series. Plugging into a divine power source. Understanding the will and the purpose that God has for our lives. Not doing life here on earth in the power of our own strength. Not just doing the things we want to do but inquiring of God, what is it that you have for me? And so this move to the other side is leaving your place of comfort and going to the place that God wants you to be. And again, recognizing that the disciples were drained and discerning this same spiritual need to recharge and to regroup, Jesus led them on this journey. Jesus talked them into going with him to the other side. And right out of the starting gate, the call to the other side is always a challenging one. It's risky and it's costly. And it means being bumped out of your casual Christianity and significantly increasing your level of commitment to God. I want you to hear that. Being bumped out of the place of casual Christianity where you're just going through the motions of your faith and getting to a place where there is a significant increase in your level of commitment to God. And who does that these days? Who does that? Who jumps out of bed in the morning and says, man, the first thing I'm going to do and the first thing I'm going to commit myself to is raising my level of commitment to God. Not too many people are doing that these days, statistically. Unless, unless you hear the Spirit of God whisper to your heart and say, it's time. It's time to make some adjustments. It's time to make the trip. 
It's time, in fact, it's high time to go all in when it comes to serving the Lord. And friend, let me tell you, when you hear that invitation to do that, when you're sensitive enough to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting you to make the trip to the other side, you should get down on your knees and thank the Lord that you have ears to hear. Because there is a world of good Christian people today who are not hearing. In fact, they're not hearing much of what the Lord is saying. This is a time that the Old Testament prophets have referred to as a time when we would be dull of hearing. And I'm not trying to be unkind It's just because there is so much noise and so much confusion and so much activity, it's nearly impossible to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. We've just got ourselves in a position where we're on track to do the things that we want to do, and most of us don't slow down enough to hear what the Spirit is trying to communicate to us. And so whenever this call to go to the other side is spoken and you hear it, Whenever you feel it deep down in your heart, and I mean it's there resonating in your soul and you can't get rid of it, then there's really only one correct way to respond to God. It's with the decision to take the first step, to say to God and to say to yourself, I'm getting in the boat. I'm pushing off from shore. I'm making the trip no matter what. See, when the call goes out to the other side, that's the way that we should respond to God. I'm getting in the boat. I'm pushing off from shore. I'm making the trip no matter what. And this whole other side process includes or contains three extremely important elements. Number one, it's leaving or launching out from the place where you're at. Number two, it's landing at your new place or actually arriving where God wants you to be. And then number three, it's the trip itself. And number three is the most important part. It's what you do and everything that takes place between the launch and the landing. Are you getting this? All right, so when the call goes out for you to go to the other side, there's three elements to consider. Leaving the place where you're at, arriving or landing in the place where God wants you to be, and then everything that takes place in between. Have you thought about that? The trip. You know, most of you know that I love to go to Florida at least one time during the cold Michigan winters. And I like to go to South Florida, as far south as I can get, Fort Lauderdale. And whenever I plan a trip to Fort Lauderdale, here's what I do most of the time. If I'm not driving, I'll go to... DTW, Detroit Metro, that's my launching pad. That's where I leave from. I take off from Detroit Metro. And then if everything goes goes right, three hours later, I land at Hollywood National Airport. That's my destination. That's where I go. But how many of you know between the takeoff and the landing, there's the flight? That's what makes me nervous. See, a lot of stuff takes place during the flight from the time that you decide to to launch and to leave until you land. This is what God is interested in. This is what Jesus was attempting to communicate to his disciples when he said, let's go to the other side. Forget for a moment what happened in Gadara. It's the trip 
When you decide to obey the word of the Lord and say, okay, I'm launching out from here. I'm getting in the boat. I'm pushing off from shore. I'm making this trip no matter what. All right, God, what is it that you want to show me? What is it that you want to put me through? What are the paces that you want to do in my life that will help me get to the place where you want me to be? So what happened here in Mark chapter 4? What does the scripture tell us? Well, let's check it out. Mark 4 and verse 37. As soon as they got in the boat, a furious squall came up, Mark 4, 37, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The message says, they got in the boat and a huge storm came up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. So what happened? A huge storm. A sudden storm, a fierce and furious storm. And this right here is the very thing that oftentimes discourages people from going all in with God. It's the trouble we encounter as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's the trials we face, the tests that we endure. These are the things that set us back. These are the things that want us to go back to the old shore. It happened in the, with the children of Israel. Oh, we're to God, we were back in Egypt. They forgot about how bad Egypt was. They only talked about the garlics and the leeks and all the good things. So you get out there and you get a little bit of trouble and you're saying, wait a minute, it was safe back on, on shore. It was safe back there. It's the trouble that sets us back, even though in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said what? In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Don't be overcome by your problems because I have overcome the world. You see, no one, I'll say that again, no one, not one single person goes through this life without encountering storms. No one, no one lives their life. You may not know everything, but no one lives their life without facing a little bit of trouble. And storms come in all shapes and sizes. Personal illness. Death of a loved one. Addiction. Financial setbacks. Loneliness. Depression. Broken relationship. Broken hearts. The list goes on and on. In fact, I would dare to say that every single person that I know on the face of the whole earth, every person, no exceptions, is going through a storm of one kind or another right now. Everyone. Every person I come in contact with, doesn't matter how much it seems like they're on top of their world, we all encounter and we all face storms. And you want to know why? You want to know why we experience storms? Because prophetically, this is the season of storms. We're living in a time that the Bible talks about it being stormy weather. And as you well know, we live in a dark world. It's extremely dark. In fact, if you've been praying with us and making a few of our evening services over in the youth center, then you know that our theme verse for this particular time of prayer and fasting is Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, 
and deep darkness the people. So just not just darkness in the earth, darkness upon the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. You see, Isaiah was talking about the last days, the days that we're living in. A time and season of darkness where there's trouble all around us. King James Version uses the word gross darkness. As dark as you can get. Thick darkness. Deep darkness. Not only upon the land, but also in the hearts and the souls of people. Now, before you get too fixated on the darkness, please keep in mind that whenever darkness and light collide, whenever they meet, light always wins. Always. It wins every time. If you don't believe me, go into a dark room and turn the light on. What happens? Darkness takes a hike. It moves out in a hurry. With regard to the coming of Jesus, John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. In other words, darkness took a beating. Darkness can never keep pace with light. Light will always win. And so the beauty and the benefit of Isaiah chapter 60 is arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon us. His majesty, his beauty, that's what he wants to give us. You see, light shines in darkness, and the light also shines during the storms. I'm going to say that again. The light of God's presence can shine during a storm, because during a storm, we are compelled to take refuge in him. You see, with regard to storms, you really only have two choices. On this side of the lake, you have to deal with storms yourself. On your way to the other side, you get to see that God is greater than the storm. That's what you encounter. You encounter a God who's greater than the storm. You see, on their way to the other side, doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do, precisely following the instruction of Jesus, right in the very center of God's will, not one degree off course, they encountered this devastating storm. It was a deadly storm. They were afraid for their lives. We're, we're talking about seasoned fishermen here. They knew their way around a boat and around the lake. They thought they were going to die. And yet, being in that storm put them in position to hear Jesus stand to his feet and say, peace, be still. And what happened? The storm dissipated. The storm went away. And do you remember what they said? Who is this guy? Who is this? You see, storms come for one reason in our lives. To allow us to hear and to receive from a God who is greater than the storms. He's greater than the storms. Is it possible that there's a side of God that you haven't seen in action just yet because every time you encounter a storm, you want to go back? Every time you get yourself in the midst of a deadly, devastating storm, you don't want to ride it out. You want to get back to the shore where there's safety. Well, in the middle of that storm, that's when you can see God in action. That's when God stands up and he shows you a side of him that you've never seen before. You see, he's a God who has power over the storms. In fact, he's the God of peace. Let me ask you right now, not with a show of hands, don't say anything. 
Do you have peace right now? When I stand up here, thank you. You know, when I stand up here and I tell you that it's dark days and that there's trouble on the horizon and prophetically speaking, this is a time when, when you know, we've got to really watch what we're doing because the enemy's all around us. Does that bring you peace or does the anxiety start to come in? Are you thinking that you're hoping that my boat doesn't capsize? I, I, I hope I don't go under? Or do you have that gift of peace? He wants us to have peace, friend. Peace is a powerful gift. In fact, in John chapter 14 and verse 7, Jesus said to his disciples, this is the New Living Translation, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm leaving you with a gift. Man, what a powerful gift he gave to us. Here it is, peace of mind and heart. Do you know how valuable, how priceless that is? To have peace? To live in this world today with everything that's going on with all of the trouble on the horizon and have this gift called peace? He said it's the peace that I give you. You can't find it anywhere in the world. The world's not going to give you this. So don't be afraid or troubled. Paul the Apostle picked right up on this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He wrote, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. The what? The peace of God which transcends all understanding, surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The message says, same verse, don't worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Prayer and worry won't mix because the negatives of worry will consume your faith-filled prayer. You know, according to this verse, you know, you can't do both of them well. You got to pick between prayer or worry. If you're an expert in worry, then don't pray. It's not going to do any good. Work on your worry skills. You know, become a better worrier and see where that gets you. Or, on the other hand, what you can do is you can shape your worries into faith-filled prayers and see if God will give you a better gift of peace. One more here. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. My favorite. God will keep in a little bit of peace. God will keep in perfect peace. Is perfect peace really attainable? God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in God. What a powerful verse. And I want to spend just a couple of moments here and then we're going to close out our time together. According to Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, let me give you two conditions to finding perfect peace and I believe you can have it. I believe that we can walk in the peace of God, that every single time that we encounter something that is greater than us, when we face storms of every kind, we can respond with peace. We don't have to respond with anxiety and stress and worry and fear. We can have perfect peace. And so here's my two ways, my two conditions. And they come right from this verse. Nothing I made up on my own. Number one, a steadfast mind. Number two, a trust in God. Here's what he said. God will keep in perfect peace those who, one, have a steadfast mind and those who have a trust in God. First one, a steadfast mind. A steadfast mind is having a one-track mind where everything is processed through the word of God and through the promises of God. Everything in your life, every opinion, 
Every decision, every idea and thought that you have is processed through the word and through the promises of God. We live in an ungodly, sinful, dark world. I just mentioned that to you. And not every thought that comes into our minds is a godly thought. Anybody learn that? Even during the fasting and prayer time, you can have a wrong thought come into your mind. You know why? Because the devil is alive and well. Even in a perfect environment, if we didn't have any ungodliness, if there was no sin around us, evil was not here, we would still have problems with our thought life. And if you don't agree with that statement, check out what happened to Adam and Eve. Remember the environment they were in? A paradise, perfect environment. And the enemy came to them and got them off track with their thinking. When a thought comes into our minds, any thought, regardless of where it originates from, it has to be processed through the word of God. That's our filtering system. That's how you stay steadfast in your approach to God. That's how you gain this incredible benefit called perfect peace. You have to process your thoughts through the word of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts, exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, what? Every thought. Each and every thought to the obedience of Christ. So a steadfast mind is a one-track mind. The opposite of a steadfast mind is being double-minded. Does that remind you of a passage of scripture in the Bible? It should in the book of James. In James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, we're told, but when you ask anything of God, when you pray, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is what? Double-minded, opposite of a steadfast mind. They're unstable in all they do. Now, James offers this advice to us to avoid being double-minded because there was a time in his life when his mind was all over the map. See, this James here that wrote the book of James, there were, there were a few of them in the New Testament, this particular James is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus and James, they had the same mother, Mary. But there was a time in James' life that he did not believe in the ministry of his brother. He did not believe that his brother, his half-brother Jesus, was the Son of God. He could not get that to be a part of his belief system. When he heard Jesus preach, when he watched the miracles, when he saw that everything that Jesus was involved in was doing some good things, he just couldn't Resolve it in his own heart. He had a hard time believing that Jesus was who he said he was until following the resurrection. You see, he watched Jesus die. He was there when Jesus was crucified. But then a couple of weeks later, when Jesus showed up at a family outing, he thought to himself, I guess mom was telling the truth. He believed then. And that battle in his mind that went on, that he knew that he, 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 had, he couldn't bring his thoughts into captivity. And that particular battle in his mind 
led him to write a passage where he encourages us and appeals to us to get rid of double-mindedness like it's a plague. Friend, nothing destroys faith and peace in God like being double-minded. If you're going to have peace, if you're going to get to a place where you can see God as the God who's more powerful than the storms, then you have to have a steadfast mind, number one. Number two, you have to learn and develop a trust relationship with God. And this is extremely difficult today. It is not easy to trust God when we go through storms. Because your mind will want to ask the question, where is God? Why am I going through all of this? Why am I suffering like this? If God loved me so much, why would he let this happen to me? And those are some really good questions. The only way to answer those questions is not to ask them in the first place. Because asking those questions, you know what it does? It violates the first condition that I just described to you. Having a steadfast mind. A steadfast mind never questions the love of God. A, stef, a, a steadfast mind wouldn't cast doubt on the promises of God. Because remember, you're processing everything through the word of God and through his promises. Now, there's a passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs uh, talking about the trust of God that has worked its way down into my soul. It's a part of me. In fact, it's become a life passage for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. For 34 years, ever since I've been in full-time ministry, whenever I've encountered a place or a time in God where I just didn't know where to go and I was asking and begging God for direction, you know the message he gave me? This one. Trust me. You know, sometimes that's not a word. Sometimes it doesn't do much for you. But oftentimes that's all God will say. Trust me. Just trust me. Your link to having perfect peace is trusting in the faithfulness of God. It's trusting in the love of God. It's trusting that God cares about you. And over the years, I've developed five elements of trusting God. Five ways. They're almost like little covenants that I've made with God. And I don't question his trust. Number one, I believe God loves me and has my best interest in mind. You can't convince me otherwise. I believe God loves me and has my best interest in mind. Number two, I've learned to accept suffering even when it's not fair. I'm talking about ways of getting to trust God. I've learned to accept suffering. Not happy about it, just accept it. Number three, death is a part of the package. Do you know a lot of people, the make or break it point with God is a subject of death. 
Death was not supposed to be a part of the package. Death was not God's first choice. It came, and it's here to stay. We have to learn how to negotiate this one if you're ever going to trust God. Number four, I have daily appointments with God, and most of the time, I listen rather than talk. We have a hard time listening. I mentioned that earlier. We have to get to the place where we're more interested in what God says than what we have to say. And number five, I refuse to listen to the lies of the devil. And the lies of the devil are anything contrary to the word of God. That's how you can identify a lie. If it's opposite of God's word, doesn't coincide with God's word, it's not the truth. Now, you may hear this, and you may say, well, you know, that Pastor Tony's a pretty naive guy. He's not in touch with reality at all. And that might be the case. But I can stand before you here with full confidence and tell you, I have peace in God. might not be perfect, but I've learned that the God that I serve can stop the storms if he wants to. He has the power. He has the authority to do that. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, there is such a powerful anointing upon your word. It's not found on your ministers. It's not found on the messenger or the person who's talking. It's on your word itself. Because your word has come from you. Everything that we have in our Bible is, has been inspired by you. You've spoken it. And all we're really doing is repeating what you have already told us. And Lord, all during our service today, even before I started talking, I, I just sensed that people were receiving in a very unique and uncommon way. And Lord, that's the anointing. The anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. And Lord, I pray for these last closing moments. I'm asking, Lord, that if there are those here who are in the midst of a deadly or devastating storm that they could see you a side of you that maybe they've never seen before which will lead them to conclude that you are the God of the storm and all you have to do is speak the word peace and in our hearts that storm stops you can control the wind and the waves you can control everything that's on the face of the earth and with a steadfast mind and an established trust in you, we can receive this gift that Jesus gave to us, this gift of peace. Lord, I pray, maybe for the very first time, that we would be able to assume that call, to answer positively to the call to go to the other side. And we would all say, I'm getting in the boat and I'm pushing out from shore, and I'm making the trip. Minister, Lord, in these closing moments, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org media.
or search CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.